Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from the New Testament, from Mark's Gospel, and I'll be reading from chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. We invite you to follow along. Then they sent to him, meaning Jesus, some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperors. Jesus said to them, give to the emperor the things that are the emperors and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When uh, Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the United States Senate, was asked one time, how do you compose such eloquent prayers, they asked, do you look at the country and then pray for the senators? And Peter Marshall said, no, I look at the senators and then I pray for the country. <laughs> Prayer and public life, God and government, church and country, are they oil and water? Do we dare mix together these dangerous ingredients of faith and politics? We find God's name on every coin and dollar bill in this country. Children in schools, at least for now, pledge allegiance to one nation under God. Every session of Congress begins with a prayer by a preacher whose salary has been paid for by tax payers since 1777. Presidents routinely end their speeches with a benediction, and may God bless the United States of America. We are a nation born of a pilgrim's dream in which freedom of religion is a sacred right. But in the 247 years of our nation's existence, we have not stopped arguing about God. Now, what many people don't realize is that the phrase separation of church and state is actually not in the Constitution. The phrase appeared in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1802 to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut. Now, what he and the other framers intended by their lack of religious language in the Constitution was to prohibit the founding of a national church. It was not to limit the power of religion, but to limit the state's power over religious faith so that religious faith could flourish in this new land. Today, there seems to be this intentional attempt to wipe away any semblance of religious faith from the public square. So instead of honestly teaching the role that religious faith has played in our country, just now, just because it's in the Bible, that means it can't be taught in public schools. For example, in March, 
a Utah parent filed a request to ban the Bible from schools, citing a law passed last year that removed dozens of books from schools and libraries. Get this porn out of our schools, she yelled, demanding the removal of the good book. The city of Knightstown, Indiana, was sued by a man because a Christmas tree in the town square had a Christian cross on the top of it. Because after all, we're told in a country in which there are over 1,200 different religious bodies, the only way to truly keep the peace is to keep all of them out of the public square. So, what role should faith play in public life? Is it ever right to bring together this explosive mix of faith and politics? Well, believe it or not, Jesus faced that question one day when he was at a press conference and was asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians if it was okay to pay taxes to the emperor. And Jesus came up with one terrific soundbite. He said, give to the emperor, meaning Caesar, the things that are the emperor's, and to God, the things that are God's. That probably was broadcast over and over and over again on the evening news. Now, what was Jesus talking about? Was he assigning some things to the sacred realm and other things to secular authority? You know, it said that politicians make strange bedfellows, and that was never more evident when we discovered that the Pharisees teamed up with the Herodians to try and bait Jesus. And what they did was rig a game of condemned if you do, condemned if you don't, trap for Jesus. Because if Jesus had said, well, go ahead and pay the taxes, then the Pharisees, who were pro-Israel, would have been very upset with them because they hated Rome. But on the other hand, if Jesus had said, withhold your taxes, then the Herodians, who were collaborators with Rome, then they would have been upset. So instead, Jesus calls for a coin, and he holds it up, and he asks, whose portrait is on this, and whose title? And they say, the emperor's. And then Jesus says, give the emperor, Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. Now, at first glance, we may think, well, that's just some fancy, fast thinking by Jesus right in the middle of this debate that he's having with his enemies. What I think that Jesus was doing was simply delineating the fact that Christians have a role in their lives to live under whatever secular authority we find ourselves as well as an obligation to God. Jesus says you owe Caesar something. If you're going to live in a mainstream society, you're going to have to play by the rules and the establishment of justice in that society. Otherwise, you're not being a good citizen. And because you are a citizen of heaven does not mean that you're not a citizen of this earth. The Methodist minister, Will Willimon, says Christians carry two passports, one for the country in which we find ourselves and another for that baptismal nation being made by God from all the nations. So where should our primary allegiance be? And is our earthly citizenship an obligation. For the answer to these questions, I want to invite you to join me in our second scripture reading. It comes to us from 1 Peter. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Again, I invite you to follow along on the screen. For the Lord's sake, 
accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Almighty God, as we gather here on the cusp of the July 4th holiday, we do give you thanks for all the freedoms we enjoy in this nation. Help us to think through together biblically about our posture in the political arena as followers of Jesus Christ. May your holy word and the grace of Jesus Christ inform and guide us in the political realities in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Peter says, honor the emperor. You know, I think it's probably tempting to look at this passage and say, well, that was for a different time in a different place and for different people, and it does not pertain to me today. Well, you need to know that back in Bible times, it was much worse than it is now as the Romans persecuted the church of Christ. And then a 100 years later, church leaders were still saying the same thing, even amidst intense persecution. In 65 AD, Justin Martyr wrote this, Everywhere, O king, more readily than all, we endeavor to pay those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by Jesus. We worship only God, but in other things, we will gladly serve you. Now, here we are in the 21st century, United States, and we probably find it pretty challenging to want to submit ourselves to anyone, especially the Democrats or the Republicans whom we elect. The writer P.J. O'Rourke tells of growing up in a staunch Republican Illinois. And he went away to college and he went through what he called his obligatory Marxist phase. And he came home for study break and he was sitting around the dinner table espousing his views much to the horror of his grandmother. And she said to him, P.J., I hope you haven't become a Democrat. And he said, Grandma, Democrat or Republican, those are just two sides of the same fascist coin. And his grandmother said, well, thank God. For a moment, I thought you had become a Democrat. <laughs> As Christians, we are to obey the government, honor the emperor, regardless of the party in power, or even if it is a government with whom we have our differences. The New Testament is a law and order document. All the authority of the government has been derived from God, even if it uses, abuses, or denies that it comes from God. And if those first century Christians were commanded to honor a crude, rude, pagan leader, how much more should we honor our duly elected officials? And yet we have a hard time doing that, don't we? 
And so the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.17, honor the emperor. That means as Christians, we should not engage in name calling or in personal attacks against those who are in governing authority. We have an obligation as citizens of a heavenly kingdom that we don't deserve to give honor and respect to those earthly leaders even when they don't deserve it either. What I think honoring the emperor means as citizens of a democracy is honoring the political process even when it doesn't go our way. In all of your years of voting, I'm willing to bet that some of the candidates that you voted for didn't win, right? And yet life went on and you honored the results. And so being a good citizen means working in the political process to bring about change and reform. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, John, are you telling me that as a Christian, I have to do everything that my government tells me to do? In other words, were the German Christians obligated to obey the rulers when they were told to exterminate the Jews? Were Christians in the Soviet Union supposed to obey the laws that restricted the distribution of Bibles? Was Martin Luther King Jr. wrong in disobeying the Jim Crow laws of the South? No, no. Because we are also commanded to fear God. The same Peter who said, honor the emperor, actually disobeys a court order in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter was told that he was forbidden to preach the gospel, and Peter says flat out, we must obey God rather than men. And so we must never give to Caesar that which belongs to God because it is our conscience which belongs to God. And if there's ever a conflict between the laws of the land and the laws of the kingdom, we have an obligation to resist. Now, honoring the emperor means that we accept the punishment that may come but we entrust our ultimate welfare to God and not to the state. Every bit of our lives and all that we ever will be belongs to God. That is the point that Jesus is making when he holds up that coin. He says, this coin bears the image of Caesar, but by implication he's saying, you bear the image of God. God minted you just as Caesar minted this coin, and all that you are belongs to God. Now, what's interesting to me is the irony of Jesus holding up that coin. The inscription, if you're interested, read, Tiberius Augustus Caesar, son of the divine Tiberius. So think about it for just a moment. A son of a god, Caesar, who is being held in the hand of the god, the son of the god, who is Jesus Christ. Well, friends, I am here to tell you that God still holds Caesar in the palm of his hand. God is still ruler over all the world. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. I ask you to pull out a dollar bill. If you have a dollar bill, pull out a dollar bill, and this is not a cheesy way to get you to give more this morning, I promise. <laughs> pull out a dollar bill. You don't have one, look on one with your neighbor, and then turn it over. And I want you to look at what our founders chose to be the great seal of the United States, and you might be surprised. It's a pyramid, a sign of strength and continuity before time. But if you look more closely, that pyramid is unfinished. 
God is not yet finished with us as a people. But if we seek him in prayer and humble faith, which we sang earlier in our service, God will build us in the nation that he desires us to be. Well, above that pyramid is an eye, the eye of God, surrounded by golden glory. And then above are the words which are in Latin, anuit coeptus, which means he smiled on our beginnings. Our currency tells us we are under God. Our Pledge of Allegiance tells us we are under God. Our Congress, the FBI, the Navy, yes, even the IRS is under God. But under God also means under the judgment of God. There is a divine reference point to which this nation is to be held accountable. When I was at Princeton Seminary a couple of years ago, we heard a lecture from Dr. Ronald White. He's a professor from UCLA, and he was speaking about Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address and its sermon-like nature. Lincoln's address on March 4th, 1865 was very brief, only 701 words, but it had 14 references to God, four scripture quotations, and mentioned prayer three times. And Lincoln's somber address was not only about the devastating consequences of the Civil War with 750,000 people dead, but he also voiced his strong opposition to slavery. And on that wet and cold morning in Washington, D.C., Abraham Lincoln finished by saying, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say to me, well, you Christians, all you're trying to do is legislate morality. And you want to know what my response to that is? Absolutely. Especially if we care about our neighbors. Because laws exist to declare some activities just and fair and some other activities unjust and unfair. And from 1776 up until the present time, the state has looked to the church for its moral leadership. And that's why Peter says, love the family of believers. Do you realize that just about every humanitarian reform in this country began within the church of Jesus Christ, from the abolition of slavery, to child labor laws, to prohibition, to the civil rights movement? As followers of Jesus Christ, our allegiance isn't to a political party, or to a set of policies, is to become more like Jesus Christ and engage the world in a manner that is consistent with his heart and his mind. And so, as we come into this July 4th holiday, let me encourage you to participate in the most patriotic thing that you can do. Let's pray. Let's pray for this country. Let's pray for its protection, its benevolence, its care, its compassion, and its future. And let's pray that God will raise up leaders on the local, national, and state level who possess the character and qualities of what it really means to govern in the presence of God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. 
God of all nations and all people, we thank you for this land in which we live. We thank you for endowing us with inalienable rights as human beings, and thank you for the spread of those rights around the world today. We pray that you would help us to walk the line between rendering unto Caesar, but not capitulating unto, unto Caesar, between serving you in government, but not turning government into an idol that is to solve all our problems because we know it can't. Bless our leaders, both local and on the national level, and help us to honor them as we pray that they would be worthy of our honor, serving your purposes in this country and in the world. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, we pray all these things. Amen.